You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with special guest, Mitch Sadowski. Uh, Mitch is a director of golf fitness at Lake Nona Golf and Country Club in Orlando, Florida. He also does some strength coach at Coastal Performance, and he's got his own thing going, Mitch 11, Strength and Performance. So you guys can check him out at some of those places. Uh, we'll get his links and stuff like that later in the show. But let's get ahead and get welcome Mitch to the show, and thank you for being here, Mitch. Jeremy, thanks for having me. Uh, do we? What are, what are the listeners called? Are they called guppers? Guppies? Uh, I, I've, I've kind of played with the idea. I don't know what, what sounds the best. Neither one has a, a great, great <laughs> No, it doesn't. But... we, we got to come up with something, though. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, there's a couple episodes where I, I would say, "Hey, welcome guppers or guppies and gupsters," and I'm like, oh, "I don't know what's what's uh, what's a good one." So, yeah, we'll see if we can come up with something, or or have people send in their uh, their, their best suggestions. That, that sounds like a good idea. And we'll have it. Yeah. So you guys, you can shoot an email at me and uh, you know, golfunderpar at email gmail and we'll see what you guys think. But <laughs> so thank you for coming on here. What um what got you into golf? Um, I don't know. Uh, it, I guess it's, uh, to, to take a, a page out of, uh, some kids books. Uh, I guess there are a series of fortunate events. Um, I kind of golfed a little bit as a kid. Uh, I was just an active, active kid in the Midwest. We did pretty much every sport and golf was included. It never had a lesson just, you know, and like just enjoyed crushing the ball, seeing how far I could hit it. And, uh, hopefully it went straight rather than hard, right, hard left. Um, but, uh, you know, along with that, I, I, it sort of became a hobby. And when I was in grad school, um, I had a lot of free time. Uh, I, I had a, a master's in sport management at, at Ball State University, and they were uh, duplicates of a lot of my regular uh, classes because I made it in, in sport administration. And I was bored. Uh, I was helping coach the men's volleyball team in grad school and still just had a lot of free time. So uh, a couple of our athletic trainers and I would go grab our sticks and hack around some of the, the Delaware County golf courses and just really enjoyed it. And uh, after I um, left the world of college volleyball coaching, I uh, moved to Orlando. Uh, part of the reason why I got into strength training was uh, as a college volleyball coach, I was really frustrated with the, uh, I guess the physicality, but the physical preparedness of what we're supposed to be collegiate athletes. So I uh, just decided to put my money where my mouth is. If you're going to complain about something, might as well be part of the part of the solution. So I, I started strength training, and that's where I guess these series of fortunate events happened because one of the 
one of the girls that I was coaching in high school, her dad owned a gym and, um, I asked him about picking up some training hours and he said, yeah, sure. Go right ahead. And so I started hanging out at his gym and picked up a couple people. And uh, a few months later, uh, he said he was moving to the Bahamas to open up uh, the fitness center at Albany, which is one of the Tavistock uh, properties. And uh, not long after that, he called me and said, hey, if you uh, if you, you're interested, Lake Nona is going to be hiring a, a strength coach. Uh, they've got one name and one resume and the job's yours if you want it. And at that time, I was kind of in between coaching jobs a little bit. So I decided, uh, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And uh, so I, I pulled my resume from some coaching applications and dove head first and uh, the world of strength training and, and golf. And uh, obviously being at Lake Nona, we're, we're around some of the best golfers in the world. And so I, I picked up a few uh, established pros, some aspiring professionals and high level amateurs and uh, I suppose you, I think the saying is the rest of they say is history. Um, and just kept going from there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely seems like a, a series of fortunate events there. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, uh, you know, it, I think it's, um, more than, more than kind of falling backwards into things. It's just seeing where opportunity is. Um, prior to that, I'd been fired from, I think four different jobs, um hockey team that I uh hockey team that I worked for um downsized and I was part of the layoffs um got fired from our staff got fired at one coaching job staff got fired another coaching job and I was like you know what I'm kind of tired of having my career and my job in other people's hands so if anyone's going to fire me for, for whatever, whatever reason, I think I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the one calling the shots here um, where, you know, uh, success is, is directly or success, success or failure is directly in my hands. So, um, you know, it, it's been a good transition and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't say that uh, there's a bad aspect to my job. I love, love what I do. Yeah. It shows you the, uh, the, uh, I, uh, what's the word I'm looking for fickleness of, you know, some of those coaching jobs, right? Like, yeah, not, not yeah, only you, college. it's the whole staff. It's yeah. And it's, you know, college coaching stuff. I mean, everyone sees the the perks and, and cool. I mean, it is, it's awesome, but uh, there, there is like, you can have a couple of the athletes that I uh, don't like the team rules or, you know, for some reason they just can't not drink for, 24 hours before a match or, you know, anything that, that yeah. they don't like about the coach or the program. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're readily looking to move on from, from that staff. And, um, you know, I'd say it's bad. I have phenomenal relationships still, you know, 15, 16 years later with a lot of the college athletes that I coach. Um, but I, I just wanted to have a little bit more say in, in what my day-to-day life was like. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a pretty cool pretty cool thing to have that type of autonomy and freedom but uh also have a lot a lot of structure to to the day as well and plus i don't if i want to sleep in my office my our guest rooms our guest beds right behind me i don't have to worry about sleeping on the floor uh in between matches with wake forest and duke (laughs) right right that's fun um 
some at least some good memories there, right? With uh, with all oh yeah, those, absolutely. But, but that's cool. So you got you said about fifteen, sixteen years, um, more doing the fitness, yeah, fitness training and and whatnot. And you've worked with volleyball, you've worked with hockey. It sounds like, and obviously golfers uh, with your with your roles that you're you're currently in. So yeah, I've seen you know, your social media and some of your posts there. You're talking recently about some tight muscles. All right. And so yeah. golfers are always talking about mobility and needing to stretch this or that. And so I wanted to get your, your kind of opinion, your process of, of figuring out, you know, does somebody need to stretch or, you know, is there a time where they actually need to strengthen it? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, everything starts at the beginning, which for me is a movement screen. Um, you know, I, I prefer TPI. And then I also have some elements of, um, FMS and SFMA in there. And then, uh, just a little bit of a breathing assessment, um, picked up from, um, Dr. Belisa Vranek, um, and her book, Breathing for Warriors. So we'll take, uh, I'll take them through that assessment, uh, for, our, uh, for a lot of our higher level athletes, we'll add in, uh, the power portion. So for people that are familiar with TPI level two, on uh, the power testing, we'll do that. And then uh, add in the uh, the Y balance and functional capacity screen from FMS, um, which will kind of give me an idea of uh, how somebody's moving, whether they're overpowered, underpowered. And we'll start to see um, where some patterns develop. And then for, you know, for a lot of my athletes, we'll do all of those uh, getting into their off season just to see where they are. Um, we'll do a, a shorter version of those, uh, every couple months just to kind of see where they are, but, um, everything starts with an assessment and then we start to see some patterns develop per athlete. And then we start to kind of have an idea of, um, where golfers tend to fit. So a lot of them tend to have a stronger, but less stable trail leg and a, uh, I don't want to say weaker, but uh, there's less power output and a little bit more stable lead leg just because of the nature of their sport. They're always shifting weight onto the lead leg, rotating over it. So they just they, they tend to develop some stronger brakes on the lead side. Um, the brakes uh, aren't as strong just because they're not necessary on the trail side. So we start to look at that, um, see what other... Um, you know, funky patterns emerge. We'll kind of see what some swing faults are. We'll see what some habits golfers tend to fall back into uh, from compensatory patterns. And then uh, we just kind of go to work from there. We'll, we'll see what their, what their goals are. And then we can take what we see in the screen with what their goals are and mesh those two things together. So the athlete gets what they want. We're just going to keep them working out. And then what they need um, which is where they're going to see, uh, a lot of the success that they, that they, and the progress that they want. Yeah. And so you mentioned the, you can kind of get the differences side to side because of the lead and the trail legs and whatnot there. And so what, uh, what are other kind of things you, you found? We'll start, we'll focus on the, you know, amateur golfer with, you know, most of the listeners are, are either, um, kind of the lower single digits to, you know, you got, you've got a handful that are, are working on uh, improving their score 
getting into those eighties and whatnot. So it's kind of, yeah, I, I think Jeremy, that's, and that's pretty good. Cause I mean, you can take uh you can take an 18 handicapper down to a 10 really quickly. It's a lot harder to go from a four to a three or a three to a one or a one to a scratch. So you're, you're, you're kind of looking at those, um, uh, those tiny little 1% wins. And that for me is generally breathing patterns and feet. Um, I'm a real, uh, real big proponent of both breathing and what foot mechanics are doing. Uh, the better the, the better the foot mechanics uh, the better somebody's hip mobility is going to be. And same, same thing with breathing. Uh, someone with, with good breathing patterns uh, is going to have a little bit more movement through their upper body and the thoracic area of their spine, uh, or at least just the thoracic area in general. Um, people who are poor breathers tend to have uh, uh, poor scapular mobility just because how, what the shoulder blades are doing with the rib cage in terms of in terms of uh, inhalation and exhalation. Um, also, I mean, if you want to get a little bit deeper into breathing, uh, you can also see uh, where stress breathers are. They're very, very top of the chest. They're really tight in their traps. Scaps don't really like to move. So you see a lot of people with that hunched shoulder pattern, kind of that shrug into their takeaway and shrug through their follow through which is going to be a pretty limiting movement pattern. So uh, getting them to breathe, control their, uh, their breath work a little bit better. And then uh, that can control some gait patterns, pelvic position, um, how the diaphragm and pelvic floor are integrating together. Uh, and then obviously what, what the feet are doing, because most people spend um, entirely too much time in their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, the one thing that I try to do with my professional golfers is, uh, you know, whenever, whenever you come into our gym, you'll see a good portion of our athletes out of their shoes. Um, even if it's just in their socks, um, just getting them out of their shoes, getting their, getting their toes to spread, getting their feet to interact with the ground a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I can't remember who said this, but, uh, walking around with shoes and socks all day is like wearing really thick mittens, really dark glasses and, uh, noise canceling headphones and trying to operate yourself throughout the day. Like there's just, yeah. uh, it's a sensory deprivation system for your feet. And it just takes away, uh, a lot of the interaction that your feet nerves in your feet, the fascia and the brain, uh, it just takes a lot. It just takes away a lot of that, that proprioception. So we try to get that back to them. Yeah, I love that 100%. Because I oftentimes look at people, you know, just like waking up their feet just by like rolling something underneath the ball, the arch of their foot. That way, you know, they, they get that sensory back in there. Because like you said, it dampening all that sensation yeah. that's coming in through there. So, yeah. Uh, what, what particularly are you looking at with golfers in, in their mechanics? Are we looking at, you know, kind of like inversion, um, eversion or how that rock? Or are we looking at, you know, toe mobility? What kind of thing <sighs> Well, the first thing I'm going to look at are what their toes are doing. Can their, can their toes splay? Can they, can they move them like, uh, like you're typing on a keyboard? Can they xylophone their toes? Um, and, you know, mostly do they have big, tro uh, uh, big toe control? Um, so, again, big toes, the thumb are similar to it. Um, right. And if that big toe, you'll see a lot of people whose big toe kind of gets glued into the second toe and it doesn't really move, but you'll, you'll generally tend to see some people with poor hip mobility on that side 
some of them may uh, may uh, have a little bit of low back pain, low back stiffness, just because that hip doesn't move. Um, so we try to get those toes moving a little bit better, um, a little bit better foot control. And then, you know, for from the medical side of things, if we can get people to get their, their big toes or their feet adjusted all of a sudden, like a lot of people who kind of see like that, that tension in their, in their low back clears up right away. And it's, you know, they think it's magic, but we just kind of understand how the, how the chain of things, um, how the chain of things works. Yeah. As a physical therapist and having people do, um, after surgery, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, bone spurs or something on those lines, you know, whatever it may be, uh, talking to them about the importance of that big toe. And they always look at me like, it seems kind of odd that you're talking to me about the big toe and its importance. And it's like, Oh yeah, but how much easier it makes walking and whatnot and the strain that it can take off of like you were just saying the back even, or the hip and, and those kinds yeah. of things. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. Some of those connections and the number of times I bring up that song that your, your mom taught you in, as a kid, the shin bones connected to the thigh yeah, bone. That is true. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And plus, if you look at golf, footwear uh golf golf shoes tend to have a very narrow or short toe box um so just by nature of the of the shoe like toes do not come to that arrow point you know they splay out um so why we have shoes with such a long toe and narrow toe box and what that's going to do to your feet if you ever take off a pair of shoes you're like oh man that's so much better you're in the wrong shoe (laughs) like i don't care how good it looks you're in the wrong shoe um you know your your toes should have room to move and i think we all go back to uh getting fit for kids uh or getting uh, fit for shoes as kids and you you know your foot's on the brannock device and they're sliding the thing up to the uh to the big toe and where it is and you know they're putting the thumb on we'll get your toes and see where it is and you know toes are jammed right up to the front um you know, we want to make sure that we have enough room um, to move because just like anything else, like you put something in a position uh, long enough, it's going to, it's just going to stop moving the way that we would like. So, you know, that's one of the things we want to attack first. Um, and then obviously uh, with that is breathing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's Exactly. So I got a couple of questions there. One about breathing, one about the what, what, shoes, but let's go with the breathing. Yeah. You just brought it up. So what do you, what do you yeah. kind of do when you're, you're assessing somebody? What's something that maybe the listeners could, could kind of see how, how they're breathing or, you know, make some changes. Yeah, there. A really, yeah. I think a really simple one that you can do on your own is just lay on your back, um, feet flat, knees in the air. Um, kind of like if you were to start in a glute bridge or a hip thrust position and then, uh, yeah, just breathe, just breathe normally. And you'll start to kind of see where you breathe. You know, the lower back's going to kind of peel off the ground a little bit. You're going to feel a lot of upper chest, upper pectoral breathing. Um, and you're going to kind of see your shoulders rise on the ground. So they're going to go up towards your ears and you'll start to feel that. So then you can kind of use some of the things around you uh, to cue into better breathing. So put your hands on the bottom of your rib cage, exhale, make sure your rib cage is kind of, you can feel that expansion in the lower part of the rib cage. Uh, you can start to feel your diaphragm for a lot of people who breathe inefficiently. If you get them to breathe into their back enough, you're going to feel, they'll feel some spasm in their back and you're trying to cue that because that's actually their diaphragm getting some work back there. And it's, you know, kind of really tight because it hasn't been used properly. 
people are like, oh man, it's really cramping back there. I'm like, well, good. We need it to. And then all of a sudden it starts to relax a little bit. And then you can start to feel the diaphragm really start to pull down and allow the lungs to inflate and start to feel the rib cage move a little bit better. A lot of people, when they get off the floor, feel a little bit lightheaded because they haven't been taking that much oxygen in before, uh, but they tend to feel a lot better. And then you can start to cue some things uh, from there, you know, push your, push your back into the floor uh, as you breathe, you know, feel your rib cage go out because most people want their rib, feel their rib cage move just vertically, almost up towards their chin. And we'd like to have the sternum kind of act as a pump handle. So it goes up away from you to the ceiling to allow the ribs to expand and then push back down um, for the exhalation. Yeah. So like that, that way, that way, I mean, the ground, the ground from a developmental perspective uh, provides a, a good sensory rich environment. There's just a ton of, there's a ton of interaction with the floor that your body is now starting to feel a little bit and the brain's starting to interact. Like, oh, okay. I can feel where I need to breathe into now. Um, and then, you know, you can use that as your practice and then to, to progress from there, we'll, we'll put, we'll turn them over into a quadruped position, hands and knees, and then start to get them to, um, give them some tactile cues on their back, tap their ribs, tap the back, tap their back, make sure that they're starting to expand through there and just kind of work from that position. And so do you, do you incorporate much of the, that kind of breathing into some of your mobility work or any along those lines? Yeah. So the funny thing is, Jeremy, if you work on your breathing, you really don't have to do much mobility work. Uh, essentially what you're doing is you expand the, the breathing. You're going to expand fascia throughout the body because now we're getting more and more oxygen in through the cells. We're really expanding our, uh, our range of motion. So the, uh, as we've hear, heard, I'm, I'm not sure any of our listeners, but, uh, uh, proximal stability equals distal mobility. So the more stability we can provide closer to the spine, the more mobility we're going to have away from the spine. And that just starts with breathing. Um, you know, uh, filling the canister and the canisters from the diaphragm through to the pelvic floor. So the, the, the more control we have over that area, uh, the better we're going to move. So you can clean up a lot of mobility issues just by cleaning up breathing. Um, and then we can really understand, you know, from my perspective as a strength professional, if I find that we've attacked breathing and cleared, cleared some of that up and we still have some mobility issues, um, you know, we kind of feel a hard endpoint when we're going through some passive stretching or, or some, uh, some joint movement. Uh, if there's a hard endpoint, I just refer them. I call my, I call my DPT or I call my, our Cairo and, Anyone who can do hands-on and I'll say, hey, this is what we have. This is what I found. Um, and I'm going to refer them out to you because this is now out of my lane. Um, so I don't, I don't mess around with that too, too much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the team approach for, for some of our upper-level golfers is important. Um, and then if there's obviously anything uh, more concerning outside of that, you know, we refer out pretty much right away. And we're, we're fortunate to have a really good network and really good team that we, that we work with. Good. Good. Uh, so it sounds like you, you kind of start most of your training with that breathing to kind of get the, we'll say reset for the body even, or the reset for the kind of the, yeah, the joints and muscles yeah. and whatnot, and then, then get into some of that warm up dynamic. Yeah. Warm-up. A lot of times, especially cause you know, for us, it's, for us, it's just systems. 
Um, you know, I think if you don't, if you're training or you, look, even if you're an amateur golfer, if you don't have a system for your game, then you're pretty much just trying to throw rocks in the desert and hoping you hit water. Cause it, I mean, you're probably not gonna, it's not going to work because you know, how do you know what to warm up? Like, how do you know what patterns you've developed? How do you know where your deficiencies are? Um, you don't need a full hour corrective warm up before you go hit balls. But on the other side, you don't want to roll up to the first tee, light your cigar, crack open the can of beer and let it rip. Um, so, you know, for us, uh, everything does start with breathing just because how many people start with breathing on their own? Like how many people have a really good, healthy breathing pattern all day long? Very few. So we'll start with breathing. That way I know everything's in the space and in the spot that it should be. Everything should be moving as well as it should. Um, that way we can start to go in through some of our dynamic movements, our corrective exercise, because again, a corrective exercise without addressing breathing, uh, is just, you're just going to chase your tail, um, around because most of the problem, most of the time that, that mobility restrictions caused by poor breathing. Um, so we'll, we'll take care of that first, um, because that's where we start our correctives. That's where we're going to start our warm up, and it doesn't take long. Uh, so we'll go breathing. We'll go any type of corrective movement. We'll go to a dynamic warm up, and then we uh, pretty much use just kind of like a, a Mike Boyle approach of explosive exercise first, uh, strength exercise second. Uh, any motor skill acquisition we'll do towards the front of the workout. And then we'll do our accessory exercises at the end. Yeah, that's a nice little uh, outline for everybody that's uh, interested in, in, you know, kind of following that same thing to can improve your performance there. So I wanted to get back into, we're talking about toes and, and shoes and whatnot. Uh, so yeah. what is your, uh, I guess, your take on, on, you mentioned how, you know, a lot of the, the shoes are very narrow. Uh, particularly golf shoes are, are narrow and whatnot. So are you recommending maybe even like wearing more of those tennis shoes or the wide, you know, something on those lines instead, or just finding, finding one of those brands. Cause I know there's a few out there that, that have been kind of pushing that more, uh, we'll say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think if you, if you were to line up 10 people, I could probably find you 10 differently shaped feet. Um, sometimes 20, um, <laughs> But yeah, I think for me, it's finding something that fits and is comfortable. Um, I actually don't wear golf shoes when I golf. I've got a couple, a couple of really comfortable pairs of trainers and that gives me all the grip I need. Um, and, and you know what, like depending on where you are, like if you're hitting off a mat, you don't really need spikes. Um, and you know, a lot of the other, some of the Muni courses probably hacked up. So you're going to have a, you're going to have a hard time gripping on some of the, uh, on some of the four inch holes that people have dug. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're in a, a really nice course, uh, fairways probably, or the tee box probably pretty, pretty well manicured. So, um, you know, I just kind of like to make sure people wear something comfortable that fits and that, that works for their feet. Um, so that's, that's kind of my suggestion. I haven't, uh, with the number of golf shoes out there now, I haven't really taken too much a look at, uh, 
at what, what all is out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, my suggestion is, you know, especially to try to get people to walk more when they golf, wear something comfortable. Yep. Yeah. I, I also wear just my tennis shoes basically that I, that I have and, uh, they get, give more feeling to my feet. The only time I wish I, uh, wish I had, you know, more golf shoes is when that, when I have to get into some slushy slushiness, you know, <laughs> when yeah. I get a little too close to the water or, or it's been raining. So, yeah. Awesome. So then with, with the toes, so I wanted to talk a little about use the use of toes during training sessions, you know, whether that's like the squats or lunges and those kinds of things. What are, what are your, some of your cues, you know, you're doing that work to get the, the isolation of that big toe you're talking about. And so how do you yeah. use that with training? So I'm trying to get people to understand what toes are for, right? Toes are for gripping the ground, but uh, I tried to, uh, the analogy of the external cue that I use is, uh, is to, to look over the cliff, but don't white knuckle. So we want to be close enough to the edge where we can kind of take a look over and, you know, look at the Grand Canyon. Well, let's not be white knuckling the, let's not be white knuckling the rim. Um, that kind of gets them to kind of get that feel of still being in their heels, uh, a little bit of balance. Um, a great drill that I actually picked up from, uh, from Don Stanley at the PGA show a couple of years ago is standing on uh, an alignment stick so that it runs under the midfoot of both feet and do side to side rocks, do front to uh, front to back rocks. And that'll kind of help you find your center and you'll understand if you're too far forward, too far back, if you've got too much pressure on one side or the other. Um, that's a really good drill that I like to kind of get people to understand where they're supposed to be. And then, um, you know, I think, you know, training barefoot for the right exercises are great. Um, I do not train in shoes um, unless I'm riding the assault bike because those spikes will tear up my foot from the pedal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I trained barefoot, uh, almost exclusively. I really do not like shoes They're I've got some that are pretty comfortable, but, um, most of the time I'm, I'm barefoot, I'm barefoot right now. Um, so yeah, so, um, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I try to get people to do is just to, to feel their feet a little bit more is just to, you know, we'll squat barefoot, ke uh, deadlift, kettlebell swings, uh, Olympic lifts, we'll wear shoes. Um, a lot of other things we'll wear shoes, but, uh, you know, I've, I've had athletes who, you know, if we do any bounding work or lateral work or even that, um, they want to go outside and run on the grass and go barefoot. So we'll do our skips. We'll do our speed work barefoot in the grass. Yep. Um, we'll do a lot of the high knees skipping, you know, they'll do and the bounding, they'll do all that barefoot. Yeah. yeah. It provides all that sensory, right. When you're doing that stuff. So yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Good. You know, oftentimes my recommendation for, for those that have like neuropathy and whatnot, it, you know, it's just physical therapy. They're finding that should you, something as simple as just showing them, Hey, this is a smooth surface. This is a rough surface. And then having them feel that with their feet, um, has yeah. improved some of that. Maybe, maybe it doesn't give them more sensation, but it, it improves their sensation that they do. They do have, and it decreases some of that numbness, tingly feel that they get. It's a kind of an interesting thing. And so like I started recommending people, Hey, just go, go, go walk on different surfaces. You know, you got hard, 
hardwood floors, you got rugs, you got, you know, concrete outside, maybe some sand, like just get some different surfaces to get the foot feeling a little something different than the inside of a shoe or sock every single day, all day. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Fortunately being in Florida, we get beach access year yeah. round. So, um, you know, we, we haven't is we haven't as much with our, we've got a nine month old daughter, but, um, before she was born and probably before my wife's, I would say probably six month of pregnancy, um, we'd walk down to the, uh, Deerfield beach or we'd drive down to the Deerfield beach pier and, uh, walk down to the Boca Jetty and back. And it's uh, about a three and a half mile walk. Um, we do that at sunrise and, um, you know, it's, you know, it, we feel great doing that. Um, so, you know, I, even, uh, when things got shut down during the pandemic, we'd go for the walk, go for walks in the afternoon. Um, as it was cooling down a little bit and we would even walk, we would walk four miles, cement, grass, street, whatever, barefoot. Um, so yeah, just developed some pretty terrible looking, but strong feet. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we want to talk about some speed and distance. That's everybody's favorite topic these days. And I, I've seen you, you, doing a couple of different posts here talking about, you know, breaks. And so I wanted to get on and, and you know, establishing those breaks. You kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier with, with some of the assessment talking that you were talking about with the, the lead hip and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, what are the breaks? Why are they important? Those kinds of things. And, and then I'm really curious as to with your training, where do you kind of focus that, that, that? Yeah. Um, well, and they say that, people are afraid of heights. They're really not afraid of heights. They're afraid of falling. When you're afraid of falling, you're not afraid of falling. You're afraid of the rapid and immediate deceleration. (laughs) So, um, I think when we, when we talk about deceleration, it's how good are you at landing? How good are you at slowing down? Um, you know, when, uh, when you see sprinters sprint, like, do they come to a complete stop or do they slow down? eventually slow down. So you're going so fast. Well, how quickly can you slow down and um, uh, how much control do you have over that? And the better the control you have over uh, that deceleration, the more your brain's going to say, okay, I'm comfortable moving at a faster speed because I'm comfortable with how quickly we can control our deceleration. If you can't decelerate, your body's just going to turn on a little bit of a governor and it's not going to give you the range that you would like. It's like, I don't feel comfortable slowing down. So we're just going to slow you down. So you're at a more comfortable speed for us to operate at. So when you, when you talk about deceleration, I love depth jumps. Uh, step off a box, start low, learn how to land first. Learn how to broad jump uh, short distances. I mean, we're not talking about an NFL combine, so you don't have to broad jump. 12 feet, but if you can broad jump four feet and eventually work your way up to, um, man, I, I wish I could, I want to say it's TPI or the FCS, um, want, there's a, there's a correlation between your broad jump height and the, uh, your, your height. So if you can broad jump your height, you're, you're going to do pretty well. Um, but the most important part of the broad jump is the landing. So you don't want to fall back. You don't want to fall forward. Um, you want to learn how to use the ground and decelerate. And then you can work on 
uh, rotational broad jumps. How quickly can you accelerate and drive out of one side or the other? So um, I think that type of work um, is crucial. It doesn't have to be a full, um, a full hour of it. I, I think, you know, for me, it's the minimal effective dose. If we get, uh, I don't really have a magic number, but, you know, I, I think if we can get a few in per day of different things, um, the body starts to develop that type of competency and, and then we'll give you a little bit more permission to get a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. Um, so, you know, we try to get some type of, uh, of, uh, broad jump bounding deceleration work pretty much every, uh, every, every training session with our athletes. Okay. Very cool. Um, do you do anything that doesn't involve much jumping for some of some of the older adults or do you think just starting small and that kind of gets them? Um, yeah, I, I think it depends on, it depends on the adult and it depends on what they're comfortable doing. Um, depends. Yeah. You know, I, we've got some that you kind of got to pull them back a little bit because they forget that they haven't, you know, they're not as a, they're not as young and spry as they used to. And yeah. uh, they, they don't have the mobility that we, that we would like to really start to jump high, but they think they want to jump high. So those are the ones that will probably depth jump more because we can lower that box down um, and just have them step up and jump off and teach them the deceleration pattern. And then, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of, huge, of really, really high box jumps for any athlete at any age. Um, it's not a great test of vertical. It's a really good test of rapid rate of hip flexion um, and see how well the lumbar can flex under load, which is fine. Um, if that's what you are, if that's what you're trying to attain, then, then high box jumps are really, really great for that. Um, you also see somebody with really, you know, people with really good dorsiflexion. Um, so, I, you know, I really, I like, you know, being, especially being a volleyball player, I like to see how high people can jump without uh, having a knee tuck just because you can't hit a volleyball up in the air with your knees tucked like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, that that type of work is always, always real important that you just kind of layer on what the athlete's capable of. And um, I think if we take a long-term training approach, whether you're starting somebody at 6, 16, or 60, uh, I think if you, if you have a 20 year plan in mind of how you're going to develop that athlete, there's no way you can go wrong. Um, if I'm training a 60 year old and in 20 years, I want them to, I don't know, deadlift 400 pounds. Um, you know, it's doable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Would I deadlift that 60 year old at 400 if they can't deadlift 135? No. I wouldn't even deadlift a 60 year old who can deadlift 350. I wouldn't deadlift them 400, Yeah. but you know, they start where they start and then we work forward towards our goal. Um, Pavel Satsulan, the, the chairman of strong first, uh, his father-in-law was 77 and won a, I think in, I don't know if he won the powerlifting me, but I know he deadlifted 400 pounds at 77 years old. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot that goes into what you're doing before that, but I also know that he hadn't been training, you know, his entire life for that. So they had to start to start somewhere. Yeah. So um, always that it's completely point, doable. Do I do that with everybody? No, but 
Um, you know, I, I can tell you every single one of my athletes that I work with deadlifts. We don't deadlift 400, but everybody deadlifts. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for, for the listeners, you know, some people would say, they go, oh, deadlift, I can't do that and whatnot. And I, I usually just say, do you ever bend down to uh, get a you know, <laughs> yes. Tupperware out of the bottom drawer uh, of your cupboards? Like, yeah, well, you, you pretty much. You pick a golf ball up out of the hole. Okay. Right. You just deadlifted your yeah, golf ball. Exactly. So there's, it's, you can start even as little as that. And that that's your, your beginning stages of a deadlifting. So, right. And then it, then it just becomes, they've got a one, they've got to feel comfortable. Um, they've got to take the stigma out of deadlift because everyone has the idea of, uh, of the, de- of the mountain deadlifting 1200 pounds. Like that's not really where we're going to be going with this. You know, if we can yeah. get you to 50 pounds, like that's, that'll work. But yeah. I think most golfers who don't deadlift, I think they'll find that, um, either a traditional deadlift or a trap bar deadlift, or even a single leg deadlift. If they're not doing any of those at all, uh, adding that into their training is probably going to have a pretty, pretty, pretty big effect. Um, actually, uh, uh, Patrick Dooley, who is another strength coach and instructor in Ireland, um, he did a study at his clubs, at his club, uh, just getting, uh, I think he took a group of 25 people. He just had them doing pushups. That's it. Just pushups. And then tested their, uh, swing speed before and after and had a control group who just didn't do anything. Um, then had a group do pushups and funny enough group that did pushups. That's it. Just no other lifting. Just do pushups. Every one of them picked up club head speed and distance off the team. So, um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, there's, there's no real big secret. It's just lift gets stronger. You get stronger. Your, ba- your brakes are going to be better. If the brakes are better. You're going to be, be able to hit the ball farther. Yep. All right. So yeah, you stay active, get strong. And, and that's, that's the secret. It's just a matter of how you want to get around to it. What your limitations are. Like you said, at the beginning of the assessment, you gotta, gotta know where to begin, yeah. what, where, where, where are your uh, issues, where are your weaknesses, your strengths, and, and, and then target as appropriate. Oh. Yeah, I think, too, is have a plan. Like, you have to have an endpoint, work to the endpoint. Once you get to the endpoint, just reset, like, reassess your goals and then reset the goal and where you're going to be. If your goal is to deadlift 400, that's great. That's awesome. It's a very worthy goal. Then how do we work to that? And that's the same thing. If you want a 300-yard drive, that's cool. Like, perfect so now now we have our endpoint. but do you want to hit that 300 drive once you want to hit that 300 yard drive every time like okay fine like now we have our endpoint. let's just work towards that and then you know obviously things have to be you know does somebody want a 400 yard drive someone's like well that's that's ridiculous well bryson came along and showed that's not ridiculous you just have to train a certain way uh to do that yeah um so Awesome. Well, it's been a good discussion, Mitch. I uh, got a few, you know, I call them the mulligan round where you're allowed to skip yeah, one question. All right. So what's the worst club in your bag? I will say my, my five hybrid. All right. What's the best round you've ever had? Best. Oh man. You know what? I, I got to go with uh, the best friend I ever had. Oh, best round I ever had. I was going to say best friend. Best round ever. You know what? Uh, I have not kept score. And probably about 10 years, what I do is I have a floating par system. So 
the last probably 10 years of rounds, I've birdied every hole I played. So sometimes it's a par nine because I shot eight. Sometimes it's a par 10 because I shot nine. Uh, if I ever hit 10, I just pick the ball up and we call it a draw at par and we walk to the next hole. <laughs> but right. I, hit, I hit enough golf shots to uh, hit enough golf shots to continue to enjoy playing and, and get a little bit better. And uh, before too long, I'm sure I'll, I'll reevaluate my scoring system, but it keeps me pretty happy right now. <laughs> hey, that's the most important part. Have fun and enjoy it, right? Uh, that's right. Awesome. Well, I measure you, I measure myself I measure myself to other golfers by height six I'm six since I'm six three. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So, what would you choose as a superhero power? Oh man, you know I've been thinking about this. Um, I would have to say I don't want to read people's thoughts because I know there are some people who just don't like me and I don't, you know, I already know that I don't need to read their minds for that. Um, I will say ability to fly. All right. What's your go-to karaoke song? The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. I can rock that thing out. In fact, I could sing it right now if we want. I don't even we'll, need the background. We'll be all right. Thank you, though. <laughs> um, what's the weirdest golf term you think? Albatross. We go from a birdie to an eagle. Eagles are pretty badass. We go to an albatross? We got to find a little, like, phoenix. Something that's a little bit more fierce yeah. than an eagle. I think we, we, we made a big jump from, from birdie to eagle. I think from, from there, because it's not a double eagle. Uh, I think we got to come up with a with a more badass bird name than Albatross. I heard uh, Max Homa calls it a super eagle, so he's he's pushing that. He do that for that. So yeah, yeah, I can get down with that. Um, all right, what's your favorite exercise or drill to improve your your personal game or your you know personal? Uh, if I could do up? one thing for the rest of my life, it would be kettlebell swings. All right. Um, what what do you want everybody to take away from today? Get assessed, set some goals, work towards those goals. If you, and set a time limit on those goals. If you don't achieve those goals, reassess why you didn't get there and then go after those goals again. If you made those goals, evaluate how you got there, set some more goals and then go after them. There you go. Last question. And just, and, and, and move better, breathe better and get out of your damn shoes. <laughs> lots of takeaways all right yeah. last question if you could have a professional hit a your t-ball or your putt which would you prefer doesn't any professional not, you don't have to choose a, a professional ooh. just would you rather have a t the professional hit the t-ball or hit the putt i would say you know i think most people would say driver i'm gonna go with the putt professionals are pretty good putters yeah. So let me let me hack it up to the green, and then I'll let you sink my putt. Sounds good. Just just let John Rom do that. You know, sixty sixty foot putt every time. Drain that thing. Uh, I got to go with my boy Poulter in the Ryder Cup. I'm there just going to tell him it's a Ryder Cup. It's yeah. a Ryder Cup match, and I need that putt. Hey, did you hear? Today's a Ryder Cup. I can't believe it. It's amazing. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Somebody I'm pretty sure has already tried that for him, right? <laughs> Cool. uh i'm sure somebody's tried yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much for coming on man 
let us know how yeah, we can learn more about you. Or, me, Jeremy. Well, let me know. How, how can we follow yeah. you and uh, learn more about you? Yeah. Uh, if you want a lot of golf information, I'm on Instagram at Mitch Sadowski. Uh, just me complaining about Wisconsin sports teams or making smart aleck remarks. I'm on Twitter at the same handle, at Mitch Sadowski. Uh, Facebook is Mitch 11 Strength. And my website is uh, Mitch11Strength.com. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll have that in the show notes. Everybody, thank you for listening. Yeah. The Gupsters, Guppies, Gups, whatever. We'll figure it out. Let us know. Thanks, Mitch. Have a good one, man. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.